It wasn't enough having the second largest point differential through seven games in NFL history. It wasn't enough whitewashing the New York Jets in front of a national audience on Monday Night Football. Now Tom Brady has another weapon. A really good, albeit under-the-radar, weapon. As the Patriots continue to widen the gap between them and everybody else in the NFL. It's a sports pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Tuesday afternoon. lot to dive into today. The NBA is back. The World Series is here. I've got some hockey audio from Northern Michigan and their big weekend out in Boston. Again, a lot to get to today. Let's start with the NFL because the New England Patriots won 33 to nothing over their divisional rivals, the New York Jets, on Monday Night Football last night. And while we were sleeping, they send a second-round pick to the Atlanta Falcons, who are beginning the fire sale, and they pick up wide receiver Mohamed Sanu, who's third on that team in catches. He's got 33 through seven games this year. Mohamed Sanu is one of the most undervalued, underutilized receivers. So talented, but always in Julio Jones' shadow throughout his career. He's one of those guys that can be a difference maker. He was underutilized in Atlanta. As good as Matt Ryan is, he didn't get Sanu the ball nearly enough. And that'll happen when you're playing alongside Julio Jones. Now Sanu is going to work in Bill Belichick's system. He's going to have Tom Brady throwing him the football, and his productivity is going to skyrocket. This morning, I picked up Sanu in every league that I could in fantasy. Mohamed Sanu to the Patriots is going to be a game-changer. Josh Gordon is out dealing with injury right now. And Kill Harry, their first-round pick, he's out right now. The Antonio Brown experiment didn't work. No Gronk anymore. This makes perfect sense for New England. Our own Adam Schefter, because he's on top of everything, reported that the Patriots tried to get this deal done before the NFL draft last spring. And now it is. Now Mohamed Sanu is on his way to New England. This coming just hours after making a statement in front of a national audience on Monday Night Football. A 33-0 win over New York to move to 7-0. The Patriots have now outscored opponents by 175 points of this year. That is the second biggest point differential through seven games in NFL history. They trail only the 1920 Buffalo All-Americans who outscored their opponents by 218 points through their first seven games of the year. 218 to 175. How about that for 100th anniversary of the NFL? The 1920 Buffalo All-Americans. This Patriot defense, statistically, is better than the 1985 Bears, the 2000 Ravens, every defense but one. I tell you what, if you take it in terms of fantasy football, we're going to use the ESPN model for obvious reasons, if you took the Patriots' defense and special teams, you know, and that's a position that you'll wait a few rounds to get. You get your position players first. You're not as concerned with that. You get that about the same time you get a kicker. Well, this Patriots' defense and special teams is so special. Here's where they would rank if you paired them up against other positions in terms of fantasy football, according to the ESPN model. Only five quarterbacks have produced more fantasy points this year than the Patriots' defense and special teams. Only three running backs have produced more fantasy points than the Patriots' defense and special teams. Only two wide receivers have produced more points in fantasy football 
than the Patriots' defense and special teams. And no tight end this year has produced more fantasy points than the Patriots' defense and special teams. That is how good this defense is. And you saw it firsthand last night. Sam Darnold coming off maybe his best game of his career, taking down a Dallas defense that we all kind of thought was pretty good. I think a lot of us still do. Just lighting them up and then looking like the polar opposite last night. He was wearing the Monday night mic. They picked up that he was seeing ghosts. Sam Darnold said he was seeing ghosts, meaning that the defense was getting to him. The defense rattled him. Sam Darnold was 11 of 32 last night for 86 yards, no touchdowns, four interceptions, and one lost fumble. I tell you what, I have never been high on Sam Darnold. Never. In fact, per Facebook memories, two years ago yesterday was Sam Darnold's trip to Notre Dame as a senior playing for USC when the Fighting Irish beat him 49-14. to And from that game... I knew Sam Darnold was not an NFL quarterback. I remember distinctly tuning into that game and thinking, why would any NFL team ever want Sam Darnold? And everybody said, oh, the Giants got to go get this guy. Eli's washed. Forget Saquon Barkley. Sure, they have a need at running back. They can't pass up on the Sam Darnold guy. They've got the number two overall pick. You have to use it on Sam Darnold. No. No, he was never the answer. And again, I don't have anything personal against Sam Darnold. My revenge tour here is going against everybody who criticized the Giants for drafting Saquon Barkley over Sam Darnold because Sam Darnold is not an NFL quarterback. I have said that for two years now, two years and one day as of today. Sam Darnold is not an NFL quarterback. The Giants did not make a mistake. By drafting Saquon. But how can you say it's a mistake when he wins Offensive Rookie of the Year? And if you think about it, it worked out, didn't it? Daniel Jones. I'd take Daniel Jones over Sam Darnold. Absolutely I would. At the very worst, they're fairly comparable. And Saquon Barkley is better than Le'Veon Bell right now. He just is. And he will be for a long time. The Giants are in a better spot than the New York Jets are. Far and away so. Again, I have nothing against Sam Darnold, personally. I'll root for him. That's fine. I don't wish bad on anybody. I'm taking my revenge tour on all those who criticized the New York Giants for drafting the way they did and putting together the roster that they did. Because give me Saquon and give me Daniel Jones over Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell. And with that, let's update Pick'em. Because I tell you what, I'm having a good day today. I can do my Sam Darnold revenge tour. And I went 5-0 and and picked him this week. The first perfect week in our Friends of the Show pick him. That moves me to 24-11 and for the season. I picked Kansas City, Indy, Tennessee, Dallas, and New England. Ryan Steig is 21-14. and So I have a three-game lead on Ryan after seven weeks. Jake Durand is 19-16. and Tyree Smith is 18-17. and And John Michael Hoefling is 17-18. and I tell you what, we're coming up on a break. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, the World Series starts tonight. What are we watching for? I'll tell you next on ESPN-UP. 
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. The Fall Classic back tonight, Astros Nationals. I tell you what, let's hit the ESPN-UP phone line because I'm joined by a friend of the show, friend of mine. We might as well put him on the payroll because he's been on here so many times giving us his baseball insight. It's Andrew Banstra, play-by-play voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. Andrew, I know tonight's game is out in Houston, but you're in D.C., and I tell you what, even though it's not game day there, that city's just got to be buzzing. Well, first, thanks for having me on, as always. You know I always love coming on. Ever since I moved to D.C., people have always said, and this is something I never realized, people always say, oh, D.C. is such a, a depressing sports town because every time it looks like a team's going to be good, they always fall out of the bottom. And if you think about it, it's pretty true. I mean, take yourself back before the Caps title. The Caps were always in the thick of things, never really got it done. The Nats were always contenders, but never got it done and never paid anybody. The Wizards, always pretty good in the East, but never a real title contender, but always just kind of there. And then you look in the last year and you've got the Caps winning on a relatively, you know, not maybe surprising run, but getting places that didn't look like they ever got up. The Mystics win a title and the Nats start out 19-31, and 31, get a huge break in the wild card game, somehow come back and beat the Dodgers and then sweep a good Cardinals team. And I think that you can sum it up in a couple of ways. I think that in many ways people still don't believe it's real. I was... There's a little, basically a big bar right by Nats Park that hundreds of, maybe even a thousand people come in and flood and watch. It's like an outside bar. They watch the away games there. And I don't know if you remember in game three versus the Cardinals, but the Nats made what looked like could be a critical error. And this guy just turns to me and goes, I was like, you know, it's not that bad. And he was like, trust me, you don't understand. This is all too surreal for Nats fans. And that just hits a little bit deeper than it should. So, I think that people are really getting into it. The last point I would make is that another thing people say about D.C. sports fans is that they're not really invested fans. They always say, oh, the huge cliche that you hear all the time out here is that, oh, people just pack Nats Park in their suits and come right after work and nobody's really that into it. I was at that game four when the Nats swept. I've never been in a more electric atmosphere, maybe – Maybe that Vikings, uh, the Vikings NFC. Minneapolis Miracle Game. Yeah, the Minneapolis Miracle Game that I believe you were at too, right? We were both there, yep. And maybe that was a little bit more electric, but if it was, it was darn, darn close. So it's pretty crazy up here. I tell you what, you talk about D.C. sports fans' misery, and I got a lot of Tiger Lions listeners up here. They don't want to hear that. And I was talking with the Northern Michigan football coach, and he made the point that there are a lot of former Tiger pitchers in this series between Verlander, Scherzer, Anibal Sanchez. All those guys are pitching well, too. And I tell you what, Andrew, you think how differently this would have worked out if Trent Grisham fielded that ball cleanly in the eighth inning of the wild card game. If there was any team that could challenge the Dodgers, it may not be Atlanta. It would probably be Washington with that pitching staff. And these playoffs are a reminder that in the offensive era we live in, that good pitching still beats good hitting at this time of the year. Oh, and you're exactly right. I think that that was 
when I was at Game Four, those were some of the murmurs that were going around. People were saying they, you know, the Nats did all that first inning damage in Game Four without any home run. And the home run ball, obviously, it was huge in that you know, Game Six with the Yankees and the Astros that we won't talk about. But, um, but you know, I think that I think you're exactly right. Pitching is what got the Nats to where they are right now. Um, I think the real question is, can the Nats bullpen that's been their Achilles heel all year, can they step up? And the last question is, do you go with a four-man rotation? I think probably not. I think you probably have Anibal Sanchez coming out of the bullpen to give you something that you can relatively trust in, more so than your Daniel Hudson and, you know, Sean Doolittle. That's basically all you can trust in right now. So I get Sanchez to the mix, and it seems like Davey Martinez is going to want to just ride his starters as long as possible. And that could be a little bit tricky to do with a three-man rotation, but of course you get bigger breaks in the World Series. Well, you talk about the atmosphere. You mentioned Davey Martinez. You've been in the thick of things in D.C. throughout this entire season when they were 19-31 and 31, all the way to when they clinch. I mean, I'm sure that you experienced it firsthand. People were calling for Davey Martinez's job. Do you remember when people were calling for a trade of Anthony Rendon? Nats fans wanted to trade Anthony Rendon at one point this year. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think that, I mean, I was even in the boat that, and I'm not a Nats fan, although I'm feeling my crud now. Um, you know, I was in the boat that, you know, Davey Martinez, after his first year, was the third manager in three years for the Nats. They've rode him out a little bit longer. I think that, in many ways, you need to credit Davey Martinez for this. He's a guy that um, has really done something special. You were dealt a tough hand without, you know, you know your big name leaves with Bryce Harper, although I think that there's something to say about the fact that that maybe not have been such a bad thing for one reason or another. But nonetheless, I think that Davey Martinez has been absolutely terrific, and I think that everybody's all in on him right now, and I kind of think you have to be. He's been, he's been magical as a manager for them, and I think that he has, in a large part, been a difference maker, and I think it's also important that – Although his first year wasn't good, you can't just keep getting a new manager every year. You know, they, they wrote it out, and I think it's also interesting that the reason that the Nats had three managers in three years is because it was like, okay, we have this great core. We need to get it done now. Okay, well, they lost with this manager. Let's get another one. Same thing, great core. This guy's not the solution. And then they get Davey Martinez, and he still wasn't the solution. And the biggest piece of that great core left in Bryce Harper Yep, they kept riding him out, and they got to it. So, you know, I think the guys like Juan Soto emerging, and obviously that pitching staff have been absolutely huge, but Davey Martinez might be the biggest piece of it all. Well, Andrew, you mentioned Bryce Harper. We're talking with Andrew Banstra, play-by-play voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, by the way. And you mentioned Bryce Harper, and you hear the narrative that the Nats are better without Bryce Harper or it was motivation for them. How did Nats fans and people in D.C. feel about Bryce Harper? Oh, I'll tell you what, there was not a single positive thing anybody said about about Bryce Harper. Everybody from, I mean, I heard bad things from everybody from fans, obviously a lot of fans. I even heard a a 50-50 raffle worker saying, oh, Bryce Harper's sitting on his couch at home. I mean, so the people working there, the fans, everybody was, you know, basically just bad-talking Bryce Harper, although somebody did say, I get it, go get your money. But 
the vast majority of people were bad-mouthing him. Somebody said it, and I maybe there's something to say about it. Somebody said it's addition by subtraction, and I don't think that that's necessarily a lie. I think that the biggest possible reason for this is because it's almost like what Kevin Durant said about LeBron James one time, is that it's basically just a lot comes with playing with LeBron James. Well, the same thing goes with Bryce Harper. The spotlight is always on him. He's always getting all of the attention. And I also think that, and I don't know the man, but it seems like that there's some aura around him that he's a pretty boy that, you know, demands a lot of attention. So maybe it wasn't such a bad thing to have him out of the clubhouse. I don't know if it's true that he has that pretty boy mentality, but I think that there is definitely something to say about the fact that all of the media attention is on him. He is Bryce Harper. He was 17 years old or something like that when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And then you've got a guy like Juan Soto that's 20 years old. And, you know, he was a highly kind of prospect, but kind of came out of nowhere and keeps to himself. So at the end of the day, and this is something that a lot of people say up in D.C., is that, let's be honest, this guy's name carries a lot of weight, but his talent might not carry as much weight outside of a couple of seasons. He's a mid-250s hitter, as much weight as you personally put on batting average. You know, a mid-250s hitter is not going to get it done, especially as last year in Washington. So I don't think that it's such a bad thing. I think addition by subtraction is really potentially at play here. Alandra, you look at this Nationals team, the makeup of it, you get some of the unlikely heroes stepping up and helping them get on this run. Obviously, the pitching staff is a backbone, but Howie Kendrick wins LCS MVP. Michael Taylor, I don't think you can underestimate what he did because, uh, you know, they didn't rush Victor Robles back because Taylor was playing such good baseball at the time. And, and you're exactly right. I think that, you know, sometimes you just got to ride the hot hand, and it's interesting how certain guys step up when they do. And I think that happens all around sports. You look at, you know, obviously I think Drew Brees will come back and start, but Teddy Bridgewater's 5-0. and Kyle Allen, Cam Newton, what do you do? Same situation here, and I think that Davey Martinez definitely, definitely made the right choice. Something somebody else said to me that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I don't know if there's – there might be a little bit of validity to it, but – I asked the same question you asked me to a random fan at the NAS game. I said, do you think it's Davey Martinez? Do you think it's Bryce Harper leaving? What do you think? And I don't know if this is true at all, but he said, I think it's Gerardo Parra. Hmm. And I don't think that's from a playing standpoint. I think that's from a team chemistry standpoint. And there is something legitimate to say about how hyped NASCAR gets when baby sharks play. I tell you what, Gerardo Parra is a guy I can see having a career as a manager once his playing career ends. But you're right, he brings so much energy to the crowd, and he's done it everywhere he's gone, whether that be in Colorado, San Francisco, what have you. So we've got game one tonight. They're in Houston. We have a dandy of a pitching matchup as Scherzer goes up against Garrett Cole. And the biggest X factor to me, Andrew, is which Garrett Cole are we going to get? Because for a long time, from May until last week, he looked like the most dominant pitcher in baseball. And then his most recent outing against the Yankees, 
He looked mortal. I mean, I know he threw seven shutout innings, but he was walking guys. I think he walked five and seven innings. To me, it's going to be which Garrett Cole do we get tonight that'll play the biggest difference in the game. Yeah, and I think that's something that people have been talking about, and as they always do in this postseason, is, you know, you face this guy how many times? And I wonder if that has something to do with it, with facing the Yankees the second time, maybe being a little bit more careful. But I think you're exactly right. Which guy do we see? You know, I think that we're going to see the dominant Garrett Cole, to be honest, because although the Nats have stepped up in the right moment, it has not been their offense that has gotten them this far. Max Scherzer can talk all of a gem he wants, but if you can't crack a guy like Garrett Cole, you can't do much. I saw an interesting stat that I absolutely loved from a Twitter account. If you don't follow it, you should call MLB Random Stats. He found, he put it together, the top seven of the Astros lineup this season combined for a flash line better than Mike Trout's 2014 MVP season. Wow. Which absolutely mind-blowing, if you ask me. So, I think that's a, that's a batting order you're going to give up runs to, but can you crack Garrett Cole? That's why I get a huge advantage to the Astros tonight. I mean, Houston's going to get there. You can't say that about the Nats. Another thing that's interesting, people are staying up in D.C. a lot, people really aren't happy that and Scherzer's a fan favorite. Strasburg is not necessarily a fan favorite, but I've heard a lot of people unhappy about the fact that it is Strasburg, I mean, excuse me, that it's Scherzer and not Strasburg starting in game one, and that goes all the way back to the wild card game in the Dodgers series. So people want Strasburg, not Scherzer, which is interesting, but that's what the word is. And Strasburg was drafted by the Nationals. He's grown up through the system. I tell you what, though, Andrew, I've got a stat for you. I'm going to make you feel really old right here. Ryan Zimmerman, who's been a stalwart for the Nats ever since they moved to D.C., he made his Major League debut April 30th, 2006. He was playing third base. The rest of the Nationals' infield that day included Royce Clayton, Nick Johnson, and Jose Vidro. And I just felt 100 years (laughs) old hearing that. Yeah, no kidding, man. I mean, my brother was talking about it. He visited D.C. in 2008, and Ryan Zimmerman was playing in that game. He's a part of the community. A guy I was sitting next to at the Nats game said that Ryan Zimmerman came out to his daughter's Little League game and was so fun and nice with them. And I mean, he is Mr. National. There's no question about it. This is what I want to happen. You know, Fernando Rodney, a former Minnesota twin, albeit a short-lived time with the Twins, if he appears at any point during the World Series, Fernando Rodney will be able to say this in his career. He has played in both the American League and National League wildcard games, both the AL and NL Divisional Series, both the AL and NL Championship Series, and if he appears in one game in the World Series, he will have appeared in the World Series representing both leagues. He's also appeared in the All-Star Game representing both leagues. I don't know if Davey Martinez will be in a situation because... Let's face it, Rodney's a roller coaster, but if he gets in, I'm just that's going to be my favorite stat. Oh, no question about it. I mean, that's, that's mind blowing. I mean, this guy is likely the first to ever do it because you know the wild card game only goes back, you know, ten. I don't know how many years it's been, but it hasn't been around that long. Of course, the one game playoff. Rodney is he's electric. I mean, I was looking back at his career stats. One year for the Rays, he posted something like a .35 ERA in like 60 appearances. 
I mean, that's a guy that's been around forever, but you're right, he's a roller coaster. And I think if I'm Davey Martinez, I ride my pitching staff, or excuse me, my starters, as long as I possibly can. you just got to manage it a little bit because you don't want a bullpen day. That's basically a lost game if you're the national. Andrew Banster is a play-by-play voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, kind enough to join us from D.C. Again, it's not game day there. But it's your buzzing around the city. Always good talking to you, my man. Thanks for being on with us. We'll talk to you again soon, maybe next week when the series comes to D.C. I would love it, Tanner. Thank you so much for having me on, as always. Let's take a time out. When we come back, I've got some Northern Michigan audio for you next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your Sports Center update. Cassius Winston has been named a unanimous preseason All-American. That's the good news for Michigan State basketball. The bad news is Josh Langford's foot injury has resurfaced. He will be reevaluated in January. Zion Williamson will miss six to eight weeks after undergoing successful surgery to repair a torn meniscus yesterday. The Pelicans open the season tonight in Toronto. And finally, Chicago Bears fan Stan Bednarczyk has started a GoFundMe campaign to buy out the contract of quarterback Mitch Trubisky. However, only nine people have donated thus far, despite the link being shared over 5,000 times. Right now, only $70 of the $17 million goal has been raised at Last update, last time I checked. That is your Sports Center update. Glad to have you along here on ESPN UP. Well, today was press conference day at Northern Michigan. Per usual, I've got some Kyle Nystrom and Grant Patoni audio. Let's start on the football side of things, where Northern is heading into their bye weekend following a loss to Grand Valley State. And the bye week couldn't have come at a better time for Coach Kyle Nystrom with his team having 19 players on the injured list right now. So I'd like to get that number down by the end of the week and still practice to get things accomplished, but I got to get these guys back. So I got to walk the line. We got to do enough to get better, but at the same time, we got to get all our guys healthy and get them back. To, right now we're thin at running back. I mean, I, I got Cullen Heimberger in there at tailback. He, he's a walk-on slot receiver from Wheaton North out of Chicago. So, and he did a nice job for us, but. You know, with DeAndre done for the year, and then Ty and Seb nicked in the ankles, he was next man up. So <laughs> I'd like to get out of this crazy drought of depth and or in too many injuries, but it's just where we're at right now. And I almost feel like we're cursed a little bit with so many injuries. And so, you know, we went through that quarterback last year, and now we're going through that tailback and defensive line this year, and a little end offensive line. So. But this is a much-needed buy, so we, we've got to uh, prepare for Northwood and get and get our get some bullets back in our gun and get these guys up and running. And I think a number of them have a good chance to get back for the game. So that's what we're working on right now. We'll be on the field this afternoon, and uh, they need a little classroom time and, and and some rehab time. So we did that yesterday, and uh, that's where we're at. So when you got a banged up team and you got a bye week, what do you do? Here's how Northern's spending this week. We practice. We practice as much as your team, your health, your team health will allow. You got to be smart, especially this deep into the season, and um, you got to do a lot of maintenance things. But you got to get ready for your next opponent, 
And so you kind of approach it like you're playing the game as far as, you know, scouting reports and game planning and scheme adjustments and everything. But at the same time, you, you know, I, I'm gonna, we're going to have to get them back on their feet. So, I mean, we'll still be in full pads, but instead of going two hours and something, we'll probably go an hour and 40 minutes or an hour and a half. And just till I can get some of these guys back in the fold here, get them back on the field. So last week against Grand Valley, Northern was down 14-7 to at one point. From there, Grand Valley seemed to take control. What went into that? Coach, address that. We made some stands in there, and then we just we would get washed out. You know, when we when we did th we did things right in the run game, and we had good communication and everything. We run fits were good. We were pretty solid. Um, and then, you know, trying to handle post wheel on the back end and the short side, we just blew the coverage. The first the first one that we gave up, we called the wrong cut. We we called the wrong coverage with the weak safety, but he put us in a coverage that can still handle it, but he didn't play it. So that's when they hit the first tight end on the, the boundary. And then the later one, we were in we were in cover three, so the corner's got two two verticals in his, in his outside third. So you have to midpoint him, and you have to play them both and break on the ball, but he played he played the post, and no one was over the wheel. And that's a freshman corner, and that's the thing. That's what you go through. Right, because most high school corners play how many coverages did they play in high school? Two at the most. And now they're playing, you know, really our corners are probably playing in the neighborhood of five to six different coverages. And, um, and that's what gave up that next one. And then the other deep balls, I mean, we had pretty good coverage. They just made a great catch, one-handed catch, you know, rub, you know, up against each other. And that's Austin Parody. You know, he, he makes those kinds of plays and. We had pretty good coverage. We, you know, we were fighting for the ball, but he caught one of them just one-handed. I mean, he's, you know, he's an elite receiver, and so and we were erratic on offense. You know, it's, at times we were decent, and at times we were less than less than you know par. So, you know, I, I stress to the offense simplify things so we're so we can have a chance. Yeah, but they're a really good team. So with a bye week, not only a chance to get more healthy, but a chance to prepare for Northwood and their option offense. It's completely a whole new world, especially with with, with the youth today. That when I was that age, everybody knew option. They don't know option, and so you have to. You, it takes it takes it's a whole new world for them in all the cup blocks. As much as they've made the cut block stuff simpler or safer, you know, it's got to be at 10 and 2 and it's got to be within five yards of the line of scrimmage. The tackle box is still full go. Um, they show on you quick. And you work them all the time. I mean, we work them all the time throughout the spring and, and summer and fall because you, it still shows up. We just don't wait to work cut, to, cut block destruction when we get to Northwood or a triple team. We work it all the time. But you just generating that speed and that, that how flat that there's just a flash of time and that thing is at your feet you really don't get a you know I'm not going to do it full bore on them in practice because then you're asking for 25 in the training in the injury report instead of 19 you know so you you slow it down and you break to get the techniques down on how to defeat the block but until it comes at you like bullets it's not really realistic but it's, you get it as close as you can so and uh 
<coughs> yeah, they're 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 a little different than they've been in the past. They're they're not doing as much as as they used to. It's about the triple game. They're they've evolved into they still have it, but they they've evolved into a lot of different things now. And so we'll get a, we'll start the base looks. I'm still drawn up drawn up outside run right now. As a matter of fact, so I'm going to get on the field and look at all their base stuff and. You got to break it down by segments. You know, we'll work some inside run and outside run out of ten personnel and build on it through the rest of the week. Well, despite the struggles on the field this year, coach and the team recognize the community support and how they've continued to cheer on the Wildcats. Yeah, they've been they've been great. Town's been great, um, and there's a lot more community projects for our athletes probably than any other school I've been at. Um, the, the, all, the, all the athletes do here at Northern, and so that's good for Marquette, and it's good for good for Northern, and it's good for our student athletes. That's a good that's a good life lesson for the growing development process. And and I and really, I only see how our players do it with football, but they seem to really um, enjoy it. And I think all the experiences they have are special for them, and so. You know, that's all good. It's really good to see. It's really good to see. Despite the losing streak, Coach is happy with the effort overall. In meetings this morning at 7, the effort was good for the most part. It's just we didn't um, communicate as well as I wanted to, coverage adjustments and, and, and play some things as well as I wanted to, you know, like the, the post wheel um, and um, some of the run stuff. You know, we didn't do as well as what I thought we should do because we work it, and you know we're getting a midline midline read on the three technique, and you know we've been going over that. We haven't practiced it for two weeks, but it's still one of those things you got to you got to remember what you're supposed to do. You know, you see the quarterback out there running by himself off of an action. It's midline. They're not they're not blocking the three technique, and so what you know what we do how to defend that. You know, we forgot twice. We can't do that. But that's not an effort issue. That's a retention and what's my job issue and a focus issue. You know what I mean? And so we keep, we got to keep, we just got to keep pounding that home. We got to get better at those aspects of our football program. Northern Michigan head football coach Kyle Nystrom from his weekly presser earlier today. Let's move over to hockey. Grant Petoni and the guys had a great weekend at Boston U. They tied Friday night. The Cats rallied from 4-1 down entering the third period. They tie 4-4 and then Northern with a decisive win on Saturday to bring their record to 2-1-1 in the year. The first thing coach addressed was what was on everybody's mind. What was said between periods that sparked that comeback on Friday night? Well... I think you can attribute it back to, and it's going to be kind of a, a funny, long answer, but um, teams that have the ability to do that are teams that believe in each other and trust each other, and I think that you can attribute that right to Phil Ballou. Um From the moment camp started, he's been incredibly inclusive. He's done an amazing job with our freshmen. Uh, he's done an amazing job with some of the older guys. Like There was a, a, a big changeover of okay, personalities, and you know, sometimes that's challenging as the lone captain. He didn't have any alternates yet, and he was the lone captain. Um, you know, and there's different guys kind of jockeying for different positions. And um, he did an amazing job, and he has done an amazing job, building our team within the locker room. 
and coaches try to do it, and we do you know all the things we can. But what's really done behind closed doors or away from the rink um, has allowed our team to be in a situation where you have the opportunity to come back because your mindset's right. And you know the the probably the you know technical aspect of it was let's just get one and see what happens. And um, you know we got two in a hurry, and all of a sudden it was a real game. And um, you know John obviously helped us get to that point with with his stellar play, but. Um, you know, when I thought when we got to two, you know, I was, I was just hoping to get within one, being able to pull the goalie. That was kind of my hope. And I, you know, as the period's going, you're running through scenarios in your head about who you're going to have out there and, you know, what you're going to try to do and, um, didn't even have to get to that. So, um, you know, probably a lot of that goes back on the guys for, um, having the belief and, and you can say, Hey, let's go. But saying it and really believing it are, are two completely different animals. On the flip side of it, what was the slow start attributed to on Friday? Coach addressed that as well. You know, I think if you look at our season, we've had, you know, penalty kill. There's the two games that we have not been victorious in. One was a loss and a tie. Uh, we gave up two power play, power play goals. The two games that we won and, you know, pretty much won handily. Um, you know, maybe the score didn't say we won handily, but all the stats we keep did. Um, we didn't give any power play goals up. And on Saturday, they had to kill, in the second period, eight minutes of, of the game. You know, and um, that's, you know, a lot of stress on those guys. And, um, you know, and I think the coaches do a great job coaching it. Um, I think it's just a tough thing to get dialed into early in the year. And we're no different than any other team. Um, you know, it takes special teams, especially penalty kill, longer than power play. Um, you know, so that's got to be an area that we have to get better because it's, you know, kind of, it's been the tale of the outcomes of the games. So then Saturday, it was a much different Northern team. They took the ice and they were ready to play. It was a 60-minute effort. What led to that? I think we knew we could play better. Um, you know, and, and all the stats I said we were great on on Saturday, we weren't on Friday. And, you know, we talked about it. And, you know, hockey's a, a team game. It's not a stick-handling skill clinic. And... Um, I felt like we really played as a team on on Saturday, and um, it was it was like one line after the next after the next of the same the same methodical uh, hockey, and and um, we played very well on Saturday, and, and you know I think a lot of that was belief one that you can come back and play against anybody, um, but two you know we played as a team. There's obviously history with Northern and Boston U. Not a lot of it, but remarkable history. Northern beat BU in the 1991 National Championship. That's their only title in program history. Was that on the players' minds as they went into Boston that weekend? Coach addressed that as well. I think for sure, you know, that there's an appreciation for what historically happened um, between our two programs. Um, you know, I, all the guys know who we played and. Uh, there's reminders of it all over the room. So um, I definitely for sure think that they were aware of it. Northern's won in different ways this season. Their two wins have been drastically different. Against Sparty, it was a defensive battle, a 2 nothing victory. Against Boston U, they just outdueled them. They brought the heat. They brought the offense. What does it say about the team's ability to win in different ways? You know, I, I think, one, we're scoring more 5-on-5 five five this year through four games and um, maybe we did at other times of the year last year. Um, 
it's nice to be able to have the ability to come back in games. Nice to have the ability to extend the lead. Um, you know, you always hope to hold people to as few of shots as you can. Um, but sometimes you're going to play teams that have major league talent, and they're going to get sticks free, and they're going to get pucks on the net, and um, you might have to score four to win. So uh, having the ability to do that and showing that you have the ability to do that, um, you know, one, gives you confidence, but two, um, knows you can stay alive in almost every game. So we've seen time from each goaltender. We've seen some things that we like, some things we don't like. Is Coach any closer to deciding who's the starting goalie going forward? I, if I knew... I promise you, I tell you, um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to play them both last weekend. Um, I'd like to play them both again. Um, you know, we've played in front of them different. You know, the first weekend we played better in front of John than we did in front of Nolan. And weekend two, we played better in front of Nolan than we did John. So, um, you know, sometimes as a coach, you take that into consideration also. If, you know, fairly or unfairly, if you're, you know, the results of the game are one way or your team plays better, um, you have to factor that in, but with those two guys, it's not the case. So um, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know who has, you know, they're different goaltenders, um, but they get the job both equally done. So now Ferris State this weekend, as Northern gets set to open up conference play, what do we expect from the Bulldogs? Well, obviously, they've had success so far. Um, I think watching the video, they've um, adjusted a little bit how they play, um, you know, which um, is different than what historically they've done. Uh, but I think the biggest indicator of why they're having success is their goaltender. And he, we actually watched him in recruiting and felt like he was a good goalie. And, um, you know, and Ferris jumped on him and took him. And um, last year they had to remove their starting goalie from the team and Sal Kang has had to play maybe before he was ready to play. And, um, you know, I think that experience this year has given him confidence. He looks like a different goalie. Um, you know, it's, it's a team that historically, if you fall behind against them, um, they do a nice job strangling the game and making it challenging for you. Uh, they've always been good on the penalty kill, you know, so... You know, as much as last week we had to prepare for the air attack, you know, this week it might be more the ground attack that we got to get ready for. Vincent DeMay was named WCHA Forward of the Week for the second straight week. Coach talked about his improvement. I don't even know if with, with Vinny if, he's, if it's been an improvement. It's just been an opportunity. Um, you know, he, he was starting to come last year, early in the year, and he hurt his ankle. And uh, he was out for, I think, four games. And he came back, and he—I think he played a game or two, kind of getting back into it. And then he—he um, he got sick, and he was, you know, he was ill for, really sick for, you know, he probably missed three games, four games because of that. Um, and then when he got healthy again, we were kind of in the middle of our run where we won, you know, seven or eight in a row. So you weren't really going to change what you were doing. So he was playing, but he was in the lineup, but he wasn't playing much. Um, and then I, I think what you saw him do at the end of the year in the most important time in the playoffs was he scored, I think he scored five goals in six games, and um, he scored them the way he's scoring them now. Um, you know, he has the ability to score from 25 or 30 feet. Uh, he has a great shot, and things like that just don't go away. You know, like that if he continues to get opportunities, and that's the part of the, of the game for shooters that when they go dry, it's that they aren't working hard enough to get themselves in position to get their shots. Uh, what he's doing, five goals in four games is 
obviously is an incredible start and nobody could have predicted that but um, you know I think if you ask the coaches we felt like he was going to be a big part of our team this year. If you look at Northern's box scores they're getting help up and down the stat sheet a lot of different guys contributing. I think one area that has um, been drastically different is the production from our decor. Um, you know Phil's got a point a game and Newhouse and, and Sorensen are just under that. Um, Mike Vanuunen kind of had a coming out party last weekend, um, so I think their ability to move pucks and and advance plays and, and get us in, in areas where either they're transporting or they're making a play to continue to um, allow us to not just advance it but put players in good spots when they receive it has been the difference in our um, ability to generate offense, um, and I think they've helped you know, in the offensive zone by, you know, keeping pucks in good areas, whether it's on the net or whether it's um, making a play to their partner or a seam play. Um, the game-winning goal on, um, or the, the goal that put us 3-2 to two on, on Saturday uh, it was a direct result of that. You know, Phil was on the blue line doing his P.K. Subban impression and, um, you know, Darian supports it and, um, you know, Griff gets to the net and Phil makes a great play. You know, and, and I think that's been the biggest difference for us is we have, um, you know, we have six guys back there that can, seven, that can generate offense. Well, this weekend won't just be eventful for coaching the hockey team because of the conference matchup with Ferris State, but this Sunday is the third annual Patoni Pasta Party at the Barry Events Center, and Grant just loves putting on this event. It's one of his favorites of the year. I, I just I think it's um, been a great opportunity for us to you know have a nice marriage with Marquette Junior Hockey and um, help help offset some of the costs for the local player, and uh, it started you know just with the idea of let's have a celebration for hockey in town, and um, it's grown each year and kind of morphed into what it is this year. And um, this year we're changing the venue; we're actually doing it on the rink, and they're putting the fl- polar floor down. Um, Coach Comley's our our guest. Uh, speaker and he's gonna you know kind of give us a little bit of his recollection of you know his time at northern um we're this year we're giving away some some excellent prizes um giving away the coaches suite for both mankato games um hopefully those you know historically those have been the top two teams in the conference um stocked with food uh we're giving away red wings tickets uh, we're giving away a, a scholarship, academic scholarships, opportunity to shoot for an academic scholarship um, for, for any NMU student. Uh, and then we have all kinds of fun birthday, you know, you can have a birthday party at the rink and get ice and a birthday party at the PEEF and um, giveaways for the, for the youth um, of the area and small games that they can play. And um, really it's kind of a carnival style um, event after you know Coach Comley um, and and uh, Mr. Mulgish go through the um, remarks of, and and have some time with the, with the um, with the people when they're eating. You heard Coach mention that Rick Comley is going to be back. He'll be a featured speaker. How special is that to have Rick Comley back and emceeing this event? It's it's unbelievable. I mean, if you think about our program, and we've only had three coaches ever. All of them currently live in town, um, and to have Coach Comley around, uh, Coach Kyle around is, is incredible. And uh, having having Coach Comley come and um, just talk about you know 
you know the hard work. What, what he did here as a as the coach is what you know we're reaping the benefits of as coaches and players today. And um, just to hear him talk about some of the stories and things that he went through um, to help us get here, I think is is for me is going to be awesome. But I think even more for a lot of the people in town that that lived it with them, you know, to kind of hear the backstories and the inside um, scoop on what happened, I think will be really fun. Coach talked about some of the events and the timeline that we're looking at on Sunday. It's, uh, it starts at 5.30, and uh, kind of the, the thought is, um, you know, I'll kind of open it up with some remarks and um, talk a little bit about some of our players. And, um, you know, and, and Tom will um, kind of run the MC of the event, and, and while people are eating, Coach Conley will be on the mic and um, just talking about Wildcat hockey. Uh, after everybody's through with dinner, there's there's going to be we're going to play some music and there's going to be a carnival style on the other side of the rink, um, and then as the the night kind of winds down, we're going to give away some of those big prizes, um, give away some hockey camps for the weeks, couple of those. We're giving away some market junior hockey registration fees, um, so there's tons of giveaways at the end, and we're going to close it down at 7:30. How about getting tickets? How would fans go about doing that? Coach addressed that as well. There's there's a couple ways you can do it. Um, any box office on campus sells them. Um, uh, NMU ticket website sells them, um, and we're also selling them over at Lakeview. So um, there's three places you can get them, and uh, it's going to be an awesome event. Um, we're really excited about it. It's, uh, we put a lot of work into this year's event, and um, be really enjoyable. And of course, the cost. Uh, tickets are, are fifteen dollars. Um, the the youth ticket is um, is cheaper than that at at nine dollars, and you can get a family ticket for uh, forty five. Finally, Coach discussed, for those who have never had it before, what is Petoni pasta like? Describe Petoni pasta. Uh, well, they, they make it on campus, and we, uh, we're fortunate enough to use them for all of our catering and training tables and um, the game day events. So the food's going to be excellent. Um, the players are going to be there uh, having a chance to meet them. We're giving locker room tours. So uh, it's almost a family-style event where um, everybody can feel comfortable and just have a good time. Grandpa Tony, Northern Michigan hockey coach from his presser earlier today. Again, come on out on Sunday to the Barry Event Center. It's going to be a lot of fun. Be sure to get tickets. I'll tell you what, you're not going to want to miss it. Let's take a time out. I only have a couple minutes left because I went really long with this segment. I apologize. When we come back, I'm going to go on record, give you my NBA playoff predictions as the season tips off here in about three hours. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple I Store or Google Play or look up ESPN. SPNUP.com and get caught up there. I tell you what, we might go a couple minutes over today, but I want to go on record with my NBA playoff predictions. I'm going to give you my top eight teams in each conference. I'll even seed them for you just as a bonus as we tip off a new season tonight, the 74th season of NBA basketball. Let's start in the Western Conference. I'm not going to deviate too far from the status quo. I'm not going to do anything surprising or dramatic here. I'm going to go Clippers-Lakers 1-2 for the same reasons that I listed yesterday. I think the Clippers have the edge in roster, depth, coaching, general manager, and ownership. I think the Clippers slightly will have the edge on the Lakers, but we get round one tonight at Staples Center, 10.30 tip. We're staying up for it. I think I'm going to. 
I'm going to go with Denver as the three seed in the Western Conference. They're doing something really special there. They're well coached. They've got Jokic, who I think is going to take his game to another level this year. I think he's going to take a step forward. And Jamal Murray, who's just so much fun to watch. He's a special talent. So those are my top three in the Western Conference. I'm kind of going through these quick because I don't want to cut off Will Kane. I've got the Clippers, Lakers, Nuggets as my top three in the West, followed by Houston. I tell you what, you look at Houston, they upgrade with Russell Westbrook over Chris Paul. I like that top two, James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Now there's a lot of talk, a lot of speculation about how that's going to work. Because let's face it, they're two of the biggest ball hogs in basketball. There's not going to be enough basketballs to go around. But I tell you what, if Daryl Morey and Mark D'Antoni were willing to make this move, it tells me that somewhere in the back of their minds, they want to play together and they want to make this work. How is Harden and Russ going to work together? And how will they work into D'Antoni's system? I don't know. That's been one of the causes of concern for fans. That's been one of the things that we've speculated about could be a problem for Houston. At the same time, they wouldn't make this move if they didn't truly believe that they could make it work. And that's why I'm going to say Houston goes into the four spot in the West. Plus, I mean, they got a talented roster. Harden, Russ, Clint Capella, some of those role-player guys. It's not good enough to overtake the Clippers, Lakers, and Nuggets. But it's too good to be anything other than a top four seed in the West. So that's why I'm going with Houston as the four seed. I switched my five and six. Originally, I had Golden State as the five seed, Portland at number six. I'm going to flip those two simply because I like Portland's big three better than I like Golden State's. If you give me my choice, I take Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and Hassan Whiteside over Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and D'Angelo Russell. It was announced today that Clay Thompson likely will not play this year. It's going to hurt Golden State. Yeah, they got talent. They have too much talent to miss the playoffs. But the West itself is too talented at the top that I have Golden State as the sixth seed. They just don't have the depth that they're used to. No Bogut, no Ingadala, no Sean Livingston. They don't have the depth to compete, let alone against Portland, where you can bring on guys like Al Farouk Aminu, who can get hot any single night. So I'm going to go with Portland to take the five seed over Golden State, who will be my six. Number seven, seven seed in the West. I'm going with the Utah Jazz. I think they got better this offseason, yet I don't think they finish in the top six in the Western Conference. They got better adding a guy like Boyan Bogdanovich. I think this will be a bounce back year for Donovan Mitchell. Quinn Snyder's a really good head coach. A lot of people don't even know who he is. He's a pretty good head coach. I have Utah as the 7th seed, and then the 8th seed I'm going with San Antonio, just because Greg Popovich will not allow one of his teams to miss the postseason. So those are my playoff teams in the Western Conference. I have the Clippers as the 1 seed, followed by the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Rockets, the Trailblazers, the Warriors, the Jazz, and the Spurs. How about in the Eastern Conference? I am predicting Milwaukee to repeat as Eastern Conference regular season champions. The Bucks did nothing to make me think otherwise this offseason. John Horst is making a case to be general manager of the year back-to-back years. I think Giannis, barring injury, will be the MVP in back-to-back years. And I've always liked Coach Bud. There is no reason Milwaukee should not be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Number two, I'm going with the Boston Celtics over Philadelphia, who I have as the three seed. I tell you what, you can say what you want about inserting Kemba Walker for Kyrie Irving. Maybe, maybe that's a little bit of a downgrade in talent, but Kemba 
is a better locker room guy than Kyrie is, and that team's going to be much more cohesive. They're not going to have the on-court and off-court distractions they did last year. Plus, Kemba's off-ball ability is going to open things up for Jason Tatum. His numbers are going to skyrocket. His shooting numbers are going to go way up in every aspect this year, as Jason Tatum is going to become a more aggressive scorer playing with Kemba Walker rather than with Kyrie Irving. But I tell you what, the loss of Kyrie doesn't concern me nearly as much as the loss of Al Horford. Now, the Celtics made up for that by bringing in Inez Cantor, and he can get buckets with the best of them. He's a good post player, but he's a defensive liability, and that is a huge downgrade from Al Horford in terms of rim protecting. Despite that, I still think the Celtics get the two seed over Philadelphia. This is a Philadelphia team that was a three seed entering the playoffs last year. And now you take away J.J. Redick and Jimmy Butler and try to replace them with Al Horford? This team can't shoot. This team can't shoot, and that's going to be their downfall. You take away Tobias Harris, maybe Josh Richardson, and your best shooter after those two that's going to play significant minutes is Al Horford? You have all-stars with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. They're going to do their thing. And Philly's not a bad team, don't get me wrong. I do think Brett Brown's a good coach. I think they're well-coached. But at some point, you've got to be able to shoot the ball in the modern NBA. And they aren't going to do that as well as most teams in the Eastern Conference, let alone against Boston. That's why I think Boston overtakes them for the two-seed. I don't think you get better. You don't move up in the standings by trying to replace Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick with Al Horford. I don't see that happening. As the four-seed, I have Brooklyn, even without KD, Kyrie Irving in there, into a group that was already starting to come into their own and play really good basketball last year. I think Kyrie continues to elevate them, and I think Kenny Atkinson really has a good year coaching them. I think he takes his coaching career a step further this year. And then you get KD into the mix, and then it'll get really fun. The five-seed, I've got Indiana. Nate McMillan is quietly one of the best head coaches in basketball. Give him a ton of credit. They're without Oladipo for the most part of last year, including the playoff run where they got swept out by Boston. He'll be back, presumably healthy. They just re-signed Sabonis to a new contract. I know they lost Bogdanovich, but Miles Turner, I tell you what, put on a show in the World Cup. I think he's going to put on a show this year. I have Indiana maybe being the spoiler to some team in the first round of the postseason as the five seed. I flip my six and seven seeds. I'm going to go with Toronto, the defending champions, as the six seed. Kyle Lowry, he's going to have to step up and take on the load. I think Pascal Siakam is due for a breakout year. I really do. I think Siakam is going to be a player to watch. And that's a Toronto team that, you know, they're without Kawhi Leonard. They've still got a lot of talent there. They're not going to be world beaters like they were last year. But they'll be a team that will make the postseason, I believe, as the sixth seed. I gave them the sixth seed over Miami, who I originally had as the sixth Adding Jimmy Butler, despite the loss of Hassan Whiteside, is going to make them a formidable team. Plus, Eric Spolster, I know people want to credit LeBron with his titles. He's not a bad coach. He really isn't. Granted, he did need LeBron to win those titles, absolutely, but he's still not a bad coach. That being said, I think Toronto has more depth and they have more firepower than Miami does. I'm going to give them the sixth seed over the Heat. And then rounding out the Eastern Conference playoff picture for me, I'm going with the Pistons. They were 41-41 and 41 a season ago. That was good enough for the 8th seed. They didn't make moves to be a contender this year, but they didn't get any worse. Adding Derrick Rose doesn't make them worse. I think Luke Kennard is going to take a step forward this year. And you know what you're going to get out of Drummond and Blake Griffin. Detroit didn't do anything to hurt their positioning last year. They should be a playoff team again this year, I believe, is the 8th seed. 
Those are my playoff predictions in the Eastern Conference. I have the Bucks as the top seed, followed by the Celtics, 76ers, Nets, Pacers, Raptors, Heat, and Pistons. Again, the NBA season tips off tonight. Just about three more hours. Can't wait for it. And I can't wait for it tomorrow, about 23 hours from now, and I can come back at you and recap it with the ABC 10 Sports Guys. All that and more coming up on tomorrow's show. It's my hope you join us. Signing off from the ESPN UPWZAM, Ishba Marquette Studios. I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pen. Enjoy the evening.